podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Thank you very much, as always, for being here. And I hope that you're all doing well this evening. And we're back again. Another race up and coming. This time we go to Spielberg for the Austrian Grand Prix. And of course, as many people have forgotten, we're back to the sprint weekends again. Our second one of the season following the initial one in the 2023 season at Azerbaijan. Of course, a lot of you guys had mixed opinions on the revised sprint format. It's not really a wholesale change, but it was a few tweaks which has separated the sprint weekend from the main race itself, or sprint race, I should say. But of course, we're going to get into all of that and all the main talking points heading into this weekend's Grand Prix. As always, for the race previews, we are joined by Courtney Pine and Lee Wallington. Gentlemen, First of all, how are we doing and are we looking forward to the next instalment of the F1 Sprint Weekend? Courtney, let's come to you first. I can't wait. It's going to be the highlight of the season for me. I can't I can't wait for the atmosphere. I can't wait for the visual effects we're going to see on track. And yeah, I, I, I can't wait for a circuit that's going to throw up um, loads of surprises so bring it on yeah Austria in the past has often been a circuit which despite the fact that it's one of the shortest tracks on the F1 calendar it's certainly not been a venue that has been stale in terms of the races that it has brought to us has often been a few stings in the tail which often shakes up the pecking order I mean last year we all thought Max Verstappen was going to win the sprint race and the main race Ferrari responded in kind turned up brilliantly only to be denied a one-two because of the ongoing reliability issues that they were suffering at the time, some of which they still are plagued by today. Lee, how are you doing, mate? And what can we expect this weekend, if we can make any sort of bold predictions early on about the Austrian Grand Prix weekend? I am good, thank you, Adam. Um, I'm looking forward to this um, weekend. Uh, And as Lando puts it, it's a circuit that McLaren, I have strong support base and Nice to see all that papaya orange and the flares and the it's all all it must make McLaren feel very at home um coming to this uh, circuit this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't think of any other driver or reason that all that orange no. and papaya would be there for. So it must be for Norris and McLaren. So uh yeah, a lovely amount of support for him and the McLaren boys this weekend. But of course, we jest as always, guys. Don't worry, we haven't forgot Max Verstappen, of course. How could we forget Max Verstappen dominating the World Championship right now, going from strength to strength? Um, as always, guys, we ask for your support. Don't forget, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you are new and watching us on YouTube. Of course, if you listen to this show on your favorite audio platform, make sure to leave us a five-star review. I know we keep banging on about it, but it really does help us out. So if you can do, we'd really appreciate if you could leave us a nice review. It really does help. First story that I think we need to address, because it's been a little while, actually, since we've all been together, a couple of weeks now. A few interesting stories have been going on in the F1 world, but the first one I think that we should talk about is the story regarding some investment to into the Alpine team. Now, the news came out 
on the F1 website uh, just yesterday. Obviously, we're recording this on a Tuesday evening. And the news story goes that Alpine have secured a 200 million euro cash injection from a group of investors, including Hollywood actor Ryan Reynolds. Now, of course, that's a name that a lot of you in Britain will be familiar with as Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelney are investors in Wrexham Football Club. And of course, Rob is involved in this too with Michael B. Jordan, of course. So a very star-studded lineup of investors investing in Alpine and uh, they're going to be supporting the French manufacturers or French team sporting ambitions in Formula One. Very interesting story headline figures of course the 200 million euro investment acquiring a 24 percent stake in the f1 team which currently places their value around the 900 million euro mark so almost billionaires at alpine there what do we make of this news guys are we excited to see some hollywood a-listers invested in a formula one team or is this just standard practice and we'll only sort of see it as a bit of a gimmick i think if you have a look at what they've done for wrexham and how they've changed the the marketing and actually the the image of a club and you know no disrespect to Wrexham they're uh, they come from a small mining community so they're not they don't they weren't a glitz and glamour team and ever since um, Reynolds and Co have taken over they're starting to become a bit more of a household name they'll be almost known worldwide and I I feel that we need that kind of unique character that people like Ryan Reynolds. Um, bring along for the F1 because look as much as we love F1 there are still elements of that sport that are still relatively stale so look you have to have an element of professionalism but I I do feel that for the Alpine team again they've, just, they've been a little bit stagnant lately they need a lease of life and I feel that this consortium of people that are taking over should give them that lease of life that they really need right now yeah I mean it- it's an interesting story and I think as you mentioned Courtney before there's a lot of untapped character I suppose or untapped character development that is required in Formula One that F1 is really branching out now on a marketability perspective especially in the States I think that's a market that F1 is really looking to tap into and has already made great strides in so far since Liberty Media came into the sport and now we're going to some other venues I feel like the North America region perhaps needs a bit more of a presence in Formula One and perhaps the way to do it is for investors like Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKelney and Michael B. Jordan and and others as well to really get involved in this capacity and perhaps add their brand of star power to try and promote not just Alpine but Formula One as well make it more appealing in in other aspects. I mean we we talked about Wrexham before you know we're all football fans here we know a wonder, the wonderful job that they've done for Wrexham Football Club, saved them from the brink of going out of business and now they're back into the Football League. It's a wonderful story. I'm not quite sure it's going to have the same impact at Alpine. I think we're talking two very different organisations yeah. in different levels of their own sport uh, with respect to Wrexham, of course, who are doing a phenomenal job, all things considered. Um, I don't think we're expecting Alpine to need Rob um, and Ryan to save them from the brink of going out of business or anything like that. Lee, I think one thing we do need to address is because it's a sizable investment, you know, not just the money, but the, the the level of the stake that the consortium and the investment group are acquiring in the Renault group and Alpine by extension, about 24, 25%. That to me suggests that Alpine are looking for additional investment that they can use for on a competitive level. 
Does that suggest that perhaps Alpine currently have been underinvesting in their team or they just don't necessarily feel that the investment to bring them forward in the pecking order has to come from them directly? Well, to answer your question first and then go into the other thoughts about it, on the question, the right, Eddie Jordan came out earlier today or yesterday that he thinks it's ridiculous that a Formula 1 team goes for that much when in the past they went for a pound. But Renault has been known to more operate historically on a shoestring budget compared to like Safari, Red Bull, Mercedes. Um, so, of course, compared to the top, top, top teams, which obviously Alpine have the ambition to be there, they're going to be under-resourced um, under maybe a little bit, but the facilities and the factories, they're going to be complete. Then they're going to be uh, miles between you. See how many teams on the grid are building new facilities at the moment? McLaren, Aston Martin. They're the only two that come to mind. Um, Mercedes sure. have long-term plans as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure Mercedes announced something, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, obviously, Red Bull's done their factory upgrade in the last couple of years. Ferrari, I mean, I don't know. It's <laughs> I can't remember what it's Ferrari, Ferrari have been on a constant <laughs> refresh every single season. And look how that's worked out. Um, so, especially the Aston Martin's progress they've done this year, Alpine, like, damn, we need to we need to invest heavily. And as you both mentioned on the marketability, there's only one American team in Formula One at the moment. There's now a French-American team. So they can now capture a slice of the American market. And they're going to be higher up the grid than Haas. So you can get they can try and push for those American sponsors. Obviously, the celebrity. So the the whole selling factor in in the US and Canada, it, there's going to be really helping. And Alpine are probably going to be pushing that. And Zach Brown's going to be trying to hold on to his American sponsors because Alpine are going to be pushing for that. Um, but one thing I would love to see is no offense to Otmar Safna. I want to see Ryan Reynolds as the team principal. Just to make well in the interview. They, when they do it during the race, it's just Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> as good actors, it's just it's just a bit of joy to uh, hear him talk about how the race is going. <laughs> He's gonna be there at every opportunity. We know we know what's coming. Yeah, I mean, anyone that's followed the Wrexham story will know that Ryan and Rob, in particular, aren't investors that just you know send over the checks and and that's it. Really, they were very heavily involved. They were very passionate about the project. Now. A Formula One team and a football team, there's different levels of passion in there. I don't necessarily know that the direct connection that they can have with the fan base at Alpine is going to be the same as it is with a football club like Wrexham, for example. That being said, I'm very much expecting to see them quite heavily involved in this project. And it's quite exciting as well for Formula One. As you said, Corny, it brings a whole new element to this star power that F1 as an entity has always had in that regard, being the travelling circus that it's, we've always known it to be. But it is growing to a new, uh, I suppose, new dynamic is a better way of putting it, um, with some of the new venues that we're going to, particularly in the States. And I feel like investors of this particular brand will help it grow even further. Of course, Lee, as you rightfully mentioned as well, that there is a competitive element to this. And Lauren Rossi has mentioned that this investment will be utilised to try and propel Alpine up the pecking order, something that I think we can all agree has been long overdue at Alpine. And I think we have to take it for what it is at face value. This is a good thing for the sport. This is good for Alpine. It's more money coming into the team despite the fact that Eddie Jordan feels that 200 million is a little bit more inflated than perhaps what he'd expect an F1 team to go for these days, or at least a small stake in it. But uh, 
we'll have to wait and see how this pans out. But exciting times. Perhaps it will start a trend for other teams to acquire similar investments. We'll have to wait and see. Let us know your thoughts, guys. Are you excited by the news with Alpine? Let's move on to the next news topic. And an interesting new technical directive is being introduced by the FIA. And the technical directive number 45 is being brought in by the FIA to combat the loophole where in the past F1 teams have been able to utilize intellectual property from affiliated projects outside of F1. They are now going to be included in the cost cap budget. Now, of course, some of you hearing that will wonder, well, where has this all come about? Cast your minds back over the last few years, we've been seeing a lot of F1 teams, mostly the big four and um, what was it, Alpine and McLaren as well. To an, I think it was more McLaren actually than Alpine. Yeah, McLaren. Um, and the big four teams in Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull and Aston Martin. They've all been involved in affiliated projects in the last few years outside of F1. And there has been accusations or investigations as to how much intellectual property they have been able to transfer from those projects onto the Formula One project without, of course, incurring any costs as per the cost cap budget. Now, just to name a few examples, we've got Aston Martin with the Valkyrie project, which, of course, was in tandem and connection with Red Bull, Adrian Newey, and, of course, Rob Marshall, who's recently left Red Bull to go to over to McLaren, uh, McLaren with Formula E, for example, Ferrari with the LMP hypercar project, which won at Le Mans, and... Um, Mercedes as well. Um, guys, you might have to remind me what Mercedes involved Super in. Yacht. Super uh, Yacht, that's bugs. it, with James Allison. Sorry, I completely forgot. It's been a long day. My mind's like mush. But yes, thank you uh, for the save on that one, guys. And I can totally understand what F1 are trying, what the FIA are trying to do here. There is certainly an element that could suggest that intellectual property from these affiliated projects have been used in Formula 1 in recent years. And of course, they haven't been charged to them against the cost caps so that's something they want to tie up and of course according to the statement from the FIA the uh, the cutoff point is the 1st of January 2023 so that does have the potential guys to further limit the spending of those teams involved if they don't want to breach the cost cap this time around so a bit long-winded that explanation in guys I do appreciate you sticking around for that one but Courtney Lee what are your thoughts on this is this a good thing or is this just another one of those things where the bigger teams are just having their heels snapped just because they have an advantage on everyone else for exploiting a loophole if you like i'll be honest i've uh i've got i've got splinters in my bum uh, when it comes to this one i'm, I'm firmly <laughs> on the fence um the reason being is i i understand the frustrations from you know some of the other teams that feel that they're at a disadvantage because of the other projects that you know some of the bigger teams are a part of, but at the same time, I, I feel that with the cost cap measures that are brought in, I think so much has already been done already to sort of stifle the innovations that we are seeing in F one, and it's something that we've always had to be conscious of. That, and, and it's it's something that I'm sure that every single one of us as F one fans you have this sort of tug of war in your mind and thinking, what do you want from the sport? And Because there are two big things. It's not only the entertaining racing. And I know there's going to be people thinking, well, you moan about this all the time. It's not just the entertaining racing, but it's also celebrating innovation. And this is why I said before, and I caught you off guard with the splinters comment, 
But this is exactly why, because I, I feel that this topic is a prime example of that conflict of interest that we're regularly dealing with when it comes to F1. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one. I often feel at the moment, you know, I mean, for as long as I followed Formula One, there's always been cases like this where loopholes have been discovered or they're not within the spirit of the rules and the FIA and F1, more often than not, tend to close these loopholes rather than give everybody the benefit of the doubt and say, look, actually, we want to encourage you to explore this and be innovative uh, and congratulate those that have found that. I mean, that's what F1 is about. It's always pushing the boundaries. It gets to a point where I feel like F1 and the FIA do tend to trip over themselves by the fact that they're not proactive on these issues. And look, we're in, we're nearly at the end of June. You know, if the cutoff is the 1st of January, that's almost, that's pretty much half an, a year's worth spend. Of course, you know, the cost cap dates are obviously going to vary depending on when the start and close period is. But let's just assume the start of period is uh, the 1st of January you've basically got half a year's worth of potential spend for affiliated projects and intellectual property, which you're now going to have to add to your cost cap. There could be some cases where that sends teams into a very dangerous position where they could be breaching the cost cap. Now, if we get to 2024, when we will find out the results of this year's cost cap spending, and we find that these five teams in particular of all found to have breached the cost cap as a result of this new technical directive. How do you administer a fair punishment onto them? Pick them all out of the championship. Well, yeah, I mean, in this way, <laughs> I mean, well, Alpine still win the championship. They better because otherwise uh, they're going to look really stupid. Way to mess it up. Maybe, maybe. This is, it's interesting. Mm. The investment comes in and now they're stopping everybody else yeah. from doing their thing. But look, I mean, we jest about it, but I, I just feel that we're in a position right now that, it's so important for this cost cap era to work in the way that it is intended. And I do feel like it is proven to be successful for the moment, but we're going to get to a point where there's going to be this caveats for this and there's caveats for that. And then there's going to be legal cases argued here and there. It's going to make a mockery of the whole thing and tie itself up in red tape. So I just, for me, I'm just getting a little bit frustrated that despite all the efforts that F1 and the FIA claim to have gone to, to make these rules as watertight as possible, as amazing as it is by the F1 teams, we're still seeing quite glaring own goals made by them that they're trying to, you know, tie up and fix. But we're at a point where it's like, well, you're just leaving yourself up for scrutiny if things go wrong later on. Well, it's that on the team's front, it's all that trying to find the advantage, isn't it? They, all right, the, there may not be the technical innovation that you've seen in the past, but the innovation of rule bending or, not say rule bending, rule... Um, Finding loopholes in the um, rules um, is the innovation about how you get, even if it's an advantage for one race, you're going to go for it because that's one race where you may score more points. Um, but Formula One has to be wary that it could find itself, obviously the results for the financial standings for last year's championship have all been submitted to the FAA in the last couple of weeks. I'm not saying any team's breached it again. But if they find a situation that there's been teams that have breached, I can see Corny biting his tongue. But <laughs> well, it was only two teams that breached it last year for different yeah. reasons. So, uh... but if there's a team, if there's been any teams that breached it last year, then there's teams that breach it again this year, and then it's because of their whole rule. And it's like it's just gonna be silly if you get to the point that in four or five years in a row that it could be teams that have different teams. Not saying it's the same team, 
um, have breached every. And it's like you're not enforcing it harsh enough if teams keep breaking the rules. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I said, I, I I think they need to be more proactive. I mean, affiliation with intellectual property on other projects, I know it's a big deal. When I heard that, I thought, well, we've known about this for some time and stuff like that. We've mentioned that is this something that teams have been able to benefit from outside the cost cap? It almost seems like a very obvious thing that they've just decided, actually, we need to do this. And And I often feel that these rules and regulations that are being set, they live and die by how well they are enforced and how well they are structured. And if teams, look, these people are geniuses. They're brilliant in these F1 teams. They're always going to find new ways to exploit these loopholes. I'm sure there are lawyers left, right and centre going through all of this to find ways in which the teams can gain an advantage. And it's brilliant to see. But at the same time, you do have to hold the referees, if you like, to account on this and say, well, look, guys, if your rules are being exploited and loopholes are being found left, right and centre, then what are you even enforcing here? It's ridiculous. Well, well yeah, look, last year, again, we're not going to name any names, but um, the, the the term uh, catering costs coming to the uh, coming to the equation last year, I, I, I think that says it all. The, the fact that you found a, a loophole through catering costs, that, that's, that's all you really need to know about the situation right now. Well, that's it. And, you know, even the even the sick leave stuff and everything else that that Red Bull in particular were trying to get around. And it, uh, for me, I thought it was actually very clever what they were trying to do. Um, I can understand why the FIA closed it off and, and understandably. But, but then you get to a point where, yes, Red Bull breached the cost cap last season, but it was only 400k. And we all know that 400k is in, even in F1 terms, that's not going to be the difference between what Red Bull are at the moment in terms of how dominant they are and Red Bull not winning a world championship on merit. It's just ridiculous. But at the same time, F1 and the FIA, they need to be very much on side with what it is that they are doing. They need to make sure that they're, you know, stopping these things before they even happen. Because for me... I just think it's going to get to a point where these rules become so prescriptive where you might as well just end up with a single chassis series and just be done with it. But I don't think anybody really wants that, quite frankly, because that the, one of the best things about F1 is all these teams finding new ways to find performance. And it's always a bit of a... It's, it's almost a bit of an arms race, for lack of a better way of putting it. But, you know, that's what the meritocracy of it is all about. Rant aside, guys, because I think we're getting a little bit off topic here. Let's move on to the next topic of discussion and let's talk about the sprint weekend. Now, obviously, we all had our thoughts on the sprint weekend that went by in Azerbaijan. I know some people weren't overly bothered about the tweaks that were made. I personally felt that they kind of took the best part away from the sprint weekend and the fact that there is an element of it that could affect the main race on the Sunday we're now heading to F1 second sprint weekend in 2023. What are we expecting this weekend? Are we going to get some surprises this sprint weekend? Is anyone going to take any risks this sprint weekend? Uh, I think I think it's a really good circuit to do the sprint races. Um, you know, I, I, I think we can all agree that we wouldn't want every single weekend to be a sprint race. I know that's the long-term ambitions for um, the people at the top in F1. But 
I feel that the circuits in which the sprint races happen define whether they're successful or not. And I feel that Austria certainly will be successful. I think you've got two, maybe three decent overtaken opportunities in this circuit. So there will be, hopefully, a lot of uh, chopping and changing. And now they've changed the point system. There is, a, there is, you know, there are more points at stake. And we see, you know, we, we see how much, you know, the teams will go for the fastest lap because that's, you know, gaining a point and taking a point of potentially enough competitor. So in theory, if we continue to have sprint races in circuits such as Austria, they should work uh, nine times out of ten. Yeah, they should do in theory. Um, I mean, F1 are going to push this through regardless of whether or not it's successful, but... I don't know. I, I just kind of got the impression on social media that the sprint race is not necessarily building the excitement that I think F1 was hoping for. Um, I mean, admittedly, I completely forgot that it was a sprint weekend this week until Sorry. I checked my calendar on the F1 app to, and it said, oh, it's a sprint weekend. I thought, oh, OK, cool. Extra race and something to do a bit more on a Saturday and a Friday. But I wouldn't exactly say I was overhauled by it. I think, oh, this is going to be fun to watch. Um, I mean, Lee, what, what were your thoughts? Uh, I agree your last comment that overall this is not going to be fun to watch. I, yeah, I've never, the spring weekend hasn't appealed to me. Um, the only thing that I'm afraid of this weekend is we're going to get a repeat of what happened in Baku with the sprint qualifying um, with the tyre allocation because as far as I'm aware that there's been no rule amendment regarding the new sets of tyres for the Q3 of the sprint qualifying. Have they not changed that rule? I haven't seen anything. I was looking it up earlier. That it has so. to be new softs. That's... So guys, just in case any of you forgot, and understandably, the rule change that we're talking about was um, obviously in qualifying, in sprint qualifying, the teams and drivers were all mandated to, to use new sets of specific tyres, whether they be a new set of hards, a new set of mediums in Q2, and a new set of softs in Q3. Now, of course, owing to the way the weekend is, go is going down, what happened in Baku, I think it was um, Lando Norris and was it Sonoda? Sonoda, yeah. Yeah, they weren't allowed to take part in Q3 because they didn't have a new set of soft tyres available to them. And of course, the reason for that was because the main race qualifying happened on the Friday. So it kind of threw everything out of, of whack because the sprint qualifying was a separate qualifying session on Saturday morning, which led to the sprint race. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that has been changed, actually. I, th I think I'm going to have to have a look after we've done recording. I'm sure somebody already knows that listens to this and they'll probably be, you know, banging down the door in the comment section saying that we're all frauds. We don't know what we're talking about because they have changed it. And if, if that is the case, then thank you for pointing that out to us. But um, I think that just proves the point, Lee, doesn't it, that whilst the sprint races is something that F1 want to put, push through, none of us, at least us three in particular, aren't exactly, uh, you know, chomping at the bit to watch sprint race action at the moment. Yeah, and on, on, on the tyres, I really hope we have missed the, the rule change and they have, they have thought ahead. You were just saying on the previous topic, the FA being proactive. They said they haven't changed it. That's the FA not being proactive again. Um so I love to that we missed it, but it's just going to happen one day if they don't change it. You're going to get five drivers that can't partake because they don't have new sets. And it's like this is going to be a complete failure of a spring qualifying. Maybe this weekend. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it would be funny if some of the teams themselves forgot that this was actual thing, and then they're like, "Oh wait, we can't actually go out now because uh, we haven't got a fresh set of softs to use." So 
Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of this new format. I, I feel like sprint races were better the old way um, without the tweaks involved. I know they want to try and make sprint races its own separate thing, but at the same time, I felt like it's taken away the best part of the sprint weekend, which it does provide an element of jeopardy for the main race. So I think we'll just have to make do and see how it goes this weekend. And hopefully, if this rule is still a thing, that all the teams are aware of it and they don't put themselves in a position where they can't qualify in Q3. Oh, yeah. Um, or if you give some jeopardy, just make sure the drivers are blindfolded. That'd be a hell of an interesting spring um, race. That's just desperate. <laughs> That's just desperate. That's Bernie's F1 idea. Is, F1 2023 has been so boring that when they're <laughs> going to blindfold the drivers, why not? There, there's me to start. I'll just bring back the gravel traps and then you come up with something extreme like that. Do you know what? I I often thought about silly ideas that I can imagine Bernie Eccleston would come up with to try yeah. and make F1 racing exciting. Well, like, like, like changing the, um, the winner of the uh, 2008 World Championship. Uh, well, you know, the, well, <laughs> well, less said on that one, the better probably, because yeah. <laughs> uh, I completely forgot about that story again. No, I, I was thinking along the lines of, um, you know, when he was talking about having artificial wet tracks when he was going to turn the sprinklers on at Abu Dhabi, um, or one of my personal favourites, and I don't think it was a Bernie Eccleston idea, I think it was, um, I can't remember who told it to me, but it was basically just put all the driver's names or the numbers of each car in a tombola and just spin it around and get each driver to pick out a number and whichever number they pick that was the car they were going to drive this weekend and someone said to me could you imagine an awkward scenario not necessarily like Max Verstappen pulls out um, a Williams number or something like that or Logan Sargent finds himself into a Red Bull for example and it's like oh it's his birthday and Christmas all rolled into one but something really random like Yuki Tsunoda ends up pulling out Esteban Ocon's number and he wouldn't be able to reach the pedos, the poor guy. And then you've got Ocon oh, yeah. getting Sonodia, and all you see is his knees up to his helmet, so you can't really see. Um, something stupid like that, for example. That sounds like a great idea. Why don't they do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I've imagine it the other way round, though. Imagine like um, Ocon in uh, in Sonoda's car, and mommy of uh, Waluigi in. Um... Yeah, Mario Kart. No way his knees are like right up like that. Yeah, that's part. what that's what I was saying. Exactly <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could just imagine it now. It, it, as I said, it's it's ridiculous stuff. We're talking Mario Kart now as an actual thing to try and spice F one up a little bit. But uh, we we digress. There's a there's a discussion point, guys. Let's know in the comment section what ridiculous, crazy idea could you come up with relatively speaking um, although i do want you to be creative to try and spice up f1 sprint races for example anything that you can think of um we'd love to entertain we'll probably read out some of those in the review episode i think we'll put a segment aside to uh react to some of the best ones in the review of the austrian race final talking point of discussion before we get to our predictions for this weekend's grand prix one story i did see was about yuki sonoda we mentioned him already had a bit of an off-field race with Max Verstappen before the Austrian Grand Prix in a couple of um, like Dakar-esque rally cars, I think it was. And Yuki, once again, like he did in the kart race with the Red Bull and AlphaTauri drivers, Yuki got the better of Max Verstappen. So uh, looks like Max Verstappen is beatable, but just not in an F1 car at the moment. And um, I think we should talk about Yuki, given that this news came up about him, you know, bettering Max Verstappen in off-road machinery. We've sung his plaudits a lot this season, and I think it's been quite easy 
for that to go a bit under the radar with Yuki Tsunoda because his performances have been very good despite the fact that Alpha Tauri are currently sitting plumb last in the Constructors' Championship. I often get the impression that Yuki Tsunoda right now, the way that he's driving and those in the upper hierarchy at Red Bull, it seems to me that they're the, they see him as the successor to Sergio Perez in the future if either they deem Perez is not capable of driving the Red Bull anymore or whenever his contract is up, I don't know. But what do you guys think? Is Yuki on his way to being a potential Red Bull number two driver? Or are we as bold as saying that perhaps he's already showing that he can be right now? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is imagine having Max Verstappen and uh, Yuki Tsunoda in the same team. Bloody beat the beat machine of that team of being overdriving, man, swearing and angry, <laughs> angry remarks that go through the radio. Jesus Christ! But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel that with Yuki Tsunoda, he's definitely improved this season, one hundred percent. I was one of his doubters, admittedly. I had him down as the uh, floppers, uh, the potential flop of the season in our preseason predictions. That's turned out well, um, but. He's he's he started well, but I feel that if you're if you're gonna eventually race for a top team, you need to carry on with form over a certain period of time. So if he continues, you know, throughout the rest of the season, like obviously everyone has their off days, he's only human. But if he continues to have a, a much improved season compared to last and he's showing an upward trajectory, then absolutely, you know, if he continues this into next season, for example, then he'll definitely be a contender. Yeah, I mean, there is also an element playing devil's advocate here that perhaps Red Bull are leaning towards more pushing Sonoda than perhaps someone like Ricardo, for example, or even Alex Albon, if we're going to be really left field at the moment. Because there is that ever-growing threat of Honda's influence coming back to the sport with Aston Martin, where potentially they may be looking at Sonoda as their prime candidate to either succeed Fernando Alonso or if the unthinkable happens, replace Lance Stroll. Oh, yeah. The, 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 obviously, there is that picture in the long term um, regarding Honda. That's uh, merely, before you mentioned that, I hadn't thought of that. Um, but that's a very valid point. And we, uh, as Courtney mentioned, we were discussing that Yuki, at the start of the season, he needed to step up and he has. Pierre leaving the team has given the opportunity to become a team leader. And I think he stepped up in achieving that so far. Um, but, where you were saying about if he's coming a Red Bull candidate. Personally, for me, I do think it's still going to, the prefer- preferential long-term candidate is going to be still be Alex because I, I mean, I don't very, I don't trust the whole severed ties Red Bull thing. I'm sure there is backroom handshakes that no one's written down or recorded that have gone on. But the fact that the Red Bull majority holder, shareholder is a tie businessman. And he's been very clear that he wants to have uh, a tyre driver in in the Red Bull team. And that was one of the reasons why Alex stayed up in the Red Bull team for as long as he did. And we should, we've talked about Alex Perez so far this season. I, mean, I know he's obviously got a while left on his Williams contract. But the Red Bull businessman hasn't moved on from the sport or from life. Because like, <laughs> Dietrich matches it. So that that voice is still going to be oh sorry, that voice is still going to be there pushing for Alex. So I still think Alex is probably the the real long term candidate for Red Bull. Yeah, I I agree. I I have a lot of time 
for Yuki Tsunoda. And I do feel, th- I, I, I'm glad he's doing really, really well, honestly. I think it was a big disappointment for me the first two seasons where Yuki was struggling for different reasons. Perhaps F1 had come a bit too soon for him off the back of an incredible second half to the F2 campaign where he really shone in a championship that was dominated by Mick Schumacher, who eventually won the title that year, and Callum Mylot. You know, that was the story of the season. And Sonoda burst his way into that picture, and he really pushed on after that. It's really nice to see him progressing the way that he is at this point in time to the point where we're almost disappointed at the fact that he's not being rewarded for finishing 11th and 12th in a car that really should be fighting on the back two rows of the grid week in, week out. It's really impressive stuff. It almost feels to me right now that when a driver like Sonoda is really showing his class and his quality, we automatically assume that he's going to be in the picture to go to Red Bull to replace someone as good and skilled as Sergio Perez. We often do him a disservice, and that's just not us. That's everybody generally speaking, that I think once you're in that Red Bull seat, you find it's so much harder to keep that seat than it actually is to get it. And maybe that's something Red Bull need to consider going forward, actually, because the amount of talent that they've churned away, like Albon, Gasly, for example, in the past, they're all doing very, very well. And all of a sudden are back in the mix to go back to the Red Bull team. Maybe not Gasly, but he's done a great job to end up at Alpine and he's thriving there. So I think there's that element to it as well. And it will be interesting to see what Red Bull do especially when they've got other drivers like Ayumu Oasa doing well in F2, Liam Lawson, obviously, you know, in, in Super Formula in Japan, he was doing a great job there. A lot of people were saying he should be in an F1 car now, possibly at AlphaTauri. And obviously there have been rumours about Nick DeVries' future perhaps being a bit up and down at the moment. So it's not a bad position Red Bull find themselves in, but once again, they are kind of frustrated with this awkward scenario where they have potentially two or three candidates for a seat that may or may not be even open at this point in time. And you almost feel that they may be forced into a decision before a decision is forced upon them. Yeah, I think if you have a look through Red Bull's, they don't have a massive history. They've only been in a sport for about coming up to 20 years now. But their their biggest purple patch was the the four consecutive championships from 2010 to 2013. I do feel an element of that was them keeping their driver partnership of Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber, even though at times that partnership was tense. I feel that continuity helped Red Bull, you know, because obviously there were times where Ferrari and sometimes McLaren caught up. But I just feel keeping that same team, whilst the others kept on going back to the drawing board, Keeping that same lineup actually helped Red Bull stay as competitive as they were. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, we haven't even talked about Ricardo in this mix as well, and he's meant to be doing a tyre test at the British Grand Prix for Red Bull, apparently. So uh, that is going, well, not the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, I should say, but um, that is going to be interesting because I think whilst a lot of people have been saying that Ricardo in the simulator, when that started out, it didn't exactly go according to plan. I think one of his entourage said it was effing dreadful, uh, to paraphrase what they were saying. But clearly the fact that Red Bull are allowing Ricardo to do this tyre test suggests that things have been getting better. Perhaps he is starting to show the pace that I think Red Bull were hoping that he still had in him. And maybe this is an opportunity to throw his hat in the ring to say, look, I've still got it. You know me. This is where I belong. Give me a chance. And, you know, he may still have that star power in him in the car that he was so successful in uh, years ago. So 
there's always going to be those elements there. It's not going to be an easy decision for Red Bull to make it over the next couple of years. I don't think we should get carried away seeing, oh, Max is going to have a new teammate next season. But um, it, it could be something for Perez to think about going forward. But there are plenty of options there. I just wonder if, as mentioned already, the external circumstances like Aston Martin, for example, or something that goes on at AlphaTauri, might force Red Bull's hand a little bit sooner than they probably would have liked. There seems to be a natural lifespan here for someone like Sergio Perez. And when that is over, it could be the right time to move someone in. I just wonder if Red Bull can be afforded that amount of time to see it through before something else happens. Yeah, they've, they've got a window of time before the circumstances but as you as you said previously that honda question is the the really big one that red bull have to be concerned about not about obviously outgoing as an engine man supplier but the uh obviously the yuki question um and it's also it's always better to be proactive than reactive yeah i'd just like to chip in before we move on i think the the other thing we were talking about long term is Right now, they can afford to have Sergio Perez be generally not in a purple patch you expect him to be because Red Bull have such a strong advantage over their competitors. Let's say, you know, next season, maybe the season after that, the likes of uh, Mercedes, Aston Martin, maybe even Ferrari catch up. They can't afford to be dropping those points. So this is where Red Bull need to think about their long-term strategy. If they if they see a trajectory of the other teams catching up, that might be something I need to consider moving forward. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's move on to our predictions element of our race preview. Now, for those of you that haven't been following us for that long, we do predictions based on specific categories for the race weekend. Of course, we score points against all of those. And at some point, I will tot all of those up so we find out how we're actually doing over the course of the season. So uh, I will give you an update on that one pretty, pretty soon, how we're doing at the moment. But the first category is the best surprise this weekend. And that is for the driver that we think is going to provide the best good surprise this weekend. So let's go to Lee first on this one. Who is going to be your best surprise this weekend? Well, my, it's not so much a driver, it's a team, you know, overall. But Ferrari, I, I think, are going to be the best surprise. Um, And that is because operationally, they had a good weekend last time out. And I actually think they're going to go go with a bit of confidence into this weekend, going, actually, we can do a good strategy. We haven't forgotten how to go racing. Um, our upgrades seem to work based on the one circuit we we or two races we've had. We're understanding our tyres a bit more. Let's see if we can do it. And they're going to be, I think they're going to be in the fight for the, uh, the podium. And I think it's going to be a very pleasant surprise. On the subject of Ferrari, I heard a little rumour that they were doing... Ooh a filming day at Fiorano this week and they used that to test the new floor that was coming on this car with new entrance slots that are very similar to what Red Bull adopt and have proved so effective for them so perhaps that could be the next stage in Ferrari's development that allows him to make another further step forward now of course all teams have got their own development paths we've heard huge stories from Aston Martin claiming that some info on the simulator suggests that they could have upgrades coming that will bridge the gap to Red Bull once and for all, as bold as that sounds. Mercedes as well have been very boastful about the upgrade package that they've got coming for Silverstone. So 
we can all live in hope that everybody's going to be bunching up to the back of Red Bull by the time we get to Silverstone, as unlikely as that sounds. But um, it does prove to be rather encouraging. And Lee, I certainly hope that your best surprise comes in because I did enjoy Canada as a Ferrari fan. But um, at the end of the day, it it felt a little bit weird that I was happy about finishing fourth and fifth. Honestly, I think it was the the reason why they finished fourth and fifth, not necessarily the fact that they finished fourth and fifth. But um, if you'd have told that to me a year ago that I'd be happy about that, I'd be like, what on earth went wrong for this to be the case? I mean, Leclerc won here last season in Austria. So maybe maybe I'm being optimistic. Uh, Courtney, let's go to your best surprise before I um, go off tangent again. Uh, Max Verstappen's going to DNF because his car's going to go through a big puff of uh, orange smoke. It's gonna mess. It's gonna mess up with the combustion. Those Lando <laughs> Norris fans oh, just can't help themselves. Do you know what my my surprise isn't gonna be a surprise? And um, hear me out after I say his name. I'm gonna say Lando Norris. Reason why I say Lando Norris is because even though, and I said this in a review in Canada, despite the finishing position that he had. He actually drove exceptionally well. And I feel there's one or two drivers on the grid that are going to be really keen to kick on um, in Austria after a disappointing weekend in Canada. And it did really well in Austria. You know, we're talking about drivers who, you know, did well in, in the club and obviously for Stappen. Um, by my knowledge, it looked like um, Lando Norris has had a couple of strong performances. You remember Lewis Hamilton saying, you know, he was, yeah, he was stuck behind Lando for quite a while and he's saying how much of an incredible driver he is. And that, that happened in Austria. That's where so I feel when the drivers have been around for a few years, so I get an idea of their stronger tracks. And this this is always a track that Lando's done well in. Yeah, I like that. This this could be another strong weekend for Lando, Norris and McLaren. So, uh, yeah, so he comes in. My best surprise, Alex Albon. I After what happened in Canada, obviously Williams put the upgrade package on his car. I think Logan Sargent has to wait until after Silverstone to get that on board, if not at Silverstone. So... Alex hopefully will take make full use of it. That Williams is very good in a straight line. We know there's quite a few speed traps at the Austrian race. A few mid to high speed corners in the middle sector, but I think they're not really overtaking opportunities. So perhaps Alex, if he can qualify well, will have another strong weekend. So hopefully that comes in. That's a good in. one. Yeah. Flop of the weekend. Courtney, let's go to you first. Who's going to be the flop of the weekend? I'm going to say Nicole Hulkenberg. Yeah, I can't really look further past the horses on this one, I'm afraid. So, yeah, but I'm going to say K-Mag just to change things up a bit. Well, I'm not going to do a hash driver. <clears throat> Mine is going to be Lance Stroll. Ooh, go on, Lee. Oh, here we go. I think the pressure in Aston Martin is now starting to build. Uh, Lance has had the benefit of being in a very secure seat and the reassurances from... Obviously, his father regarding the safety of that seat and his performances. And he, he merely he's beating his teammate, which is the most important thing to do in a team. He's come up against Fernando. He's losing. There's pressure building from other stakeholders that came out um, last week about the discussions that they feel that Lance isn't delivering. And I, I don't think Lance has been in a position for a long time where he's been under pressure. And I think he's going to, uh, especially as the other teams are closing in, so Aston Martin, he's going to... Um, be behind the and be at the wrong end of this uh, Aston Martin sandwich, so to put it. I'd love to say something, right? So we obviously we have a group chat on the. Uh, obviously, we have a group chat for this podcast, 
And Lee, you're like the F1 mole of the group. You always like chipping with the, with the little rumours. And to be fair, you have a decent, um, you know, strike record. So whenever the little rumours start building up, we it, we always hear it from Lee. Lee's always the... You are, you are the source of the sources, Lee. Let's put it that way. You're like an encyclopedia of F1 rumours. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Considering Lee is, what, six, 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 seven. Do well to keep your ear to the ground, given how high up you are. So, uh, yeah, he's a lot more reliable than a lot of in-the-know kind of people on, in other sports, so to speak, And at this point in time. So, uh, oh, we should do a segment for, for, we should do a segment for you, Lee. Lee's, Lee's F1 rumours. Like, it could be like the ITK of DNF1. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, let's not encourage that, shall we? We've had enough of ITKs for one lifetime. Um... I haven't done. Have I done my flop of the weekend? Oh, yeah, I did. I did. It was yeah, yeah, yes. Sorry, I, ca- I completely Sorry. lost track of this one. It te- it's been a long day, guys, honestly. Bear with me on this one. Um, sprint pole position. So we'll do the sprint pole and the sprint race first, and then we'll do the main race afterwards. So uh, sprint pole position. I'm going to go Charles Leclerc. Loves a sprint pole. Oof. And, okay. Uh, Austria. Yeah, why not? So, uh, yeah, Charles Leclerc. Max Verstappen. And Lee? I'm going Max Verstappen on this one, I'm afraid. I'm already regretting my choice at this point. Um, <laughs> I was trying to be different. Sprint race winner, Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen. <laughs> Max Verstappen. <laughs> okay. Regular race pole position. Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen. Regular race winner. Shall we count it down? Three, two, one Max, Max Verstappen. Verstappen. Yeah, we finally got it all in sync for once. <laughs> a new one point this season. We, we get plenty of opportunities to do it this year, the way things are going. We'd get it in sync. So uh I think that's as good as it's gonna get. So we got Max to be on pole, Max to be win the race, Max sprint pole, except for me went Leclerc because I'm an idiot, and uh Max to win the sprint race. So I think we need to ask this question now. We're getting to the point where we're almost halfway through the season and Red Bull so far have won all of the races at this point. Max with the majority of them. Can they really go the whole season without losing a race? It feels like every week goes by, it's becoming more and more likely that it will happen. I feel that they will will get towards the end of the season. We saw it with Mercedes had that, you know, that one off in Brazil. And Red Bull with the wind tunnel um, penalty coming along and attention will start going to next year's car. The luxury you have when you're so far ahead. We saw Mercedes do it for years as well. That you get the, the one of the closer teams snatches your race win here and there. So I, I I feel it'll go close. But I just I just think you'll get to like Brazil maybe Abu Dhabi when you know Max Max is already on holiday and there's like someone like a Fernando Alonso who'd be really hungry for that win will get it in one of those said races. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of fans are probably hoping for. And I think they probably have cited Hungary as the race where it could happen. But, um, you know, we said that about Monaco and Max was well in control of that race as well for obvious reasons. So, yeah, the guy's in another league right now. Uh, And you should also add on about reliability concerns to Courtney's point. Mm. That as you get to the second half of the season, everyone will start, not everyone, but most teams will start going over the the allowance limit, there'll be penalties. And as the gap is closed, because it will close through throughout the season, that the Super DRS doesn't enable 
the red balls to carve through the field as easy as it did earlier in the season that the these there will be these chances for these uh, other teams to get a race win and interrupt a complete red bull domination of a every race win yeah see what i'm imagining is a scenario where the belgian grand prix like we got last season and max has to take an engine penalty and start at the back of the grid and it's almost like can i do a last to first challenge in f1 in real life and the scary thought is, if we remember how that went down last season, when I think, what was he, like P14 or P12, and he ended up first after about eight or nine laps, which was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. You'd imagine that Red Bull is even more OP this season than it was last season. So maybe they'll do it then. That would that would be quite fun to see. I'm not going to lie. If Max ended up doing something like that there, then you'd just say, hold your hands up. Like, well done. <laughs> That's just ridiculous stuff. Um it would feel quite bad if the the rest of the field see that happen, but uh, you know that that's where F one is at the moment. Let's do the podium now. So we've all got Max Verstappen, unsurprisingly, to win all the races. Who's coming second and third? Courtney, let's come to you first. I'm gonna show off my Mercedes fan slash British bias, and I'm gonna say Lewis will finish second. And I think Sergio Perez will have a slight improvement. And also, I do feel that this circuit will suit the strengths of the Red Bull. So I think Perez, in theory, should have a stronger weekend. So I'm going to say, obviously, Max first, Lewis second, Perez third. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because tyres are going to be quite key this weekend. I mean, they usually are. I'm expecting a one-stop race for the most part in some... I mean, it could be a two-stop if someone's feeling bold. I say that, and it probably would end up being a two-stopper anyway. But... um, that does suggest that Perez could be in his element. I think he needs to be. He's had a few difficult weeks, so he does need to try and pull it all together. However, I am going to go with Leclerc second and Alonso to finish third on the podium this weekend. Lee, let's come to you, mate. Who's completing your podium? I've got the same drivers as you, Adam, but the other way around. Oh. With Fernando second and Charles third. How can Ferrari bring up a good surprise? You've got to go P2. You've got to go bold, Because man. they're going to be the fight, the, the fight at the podium. I mean, they haven't... Yeah. <laughs> they finished fourth and fifth. <laughs> I know. That's where season peaks at the moment, isn't it? Oh, man. I don't even think Ferrari finished P2. Have they finished P2? They haven't, have they? No. Not this season. Wow. Shows how bold my prediction is, then. Um, let's see if we break that this weekend. Uh, best of the rest. So that's the category... For the best finisher that isn't driving in a Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes or Aston Martin. I'm going with Esteban Ocon. Yeah, ditto. Same again, Esteban Ocon. Does anyone want to elaborate on that one? Well, for me, I picked Esteban Ocon as he's been on a really solid string of performances as of late. The Alpine seems to be understanding of the car has improved. The upgrades they've brought seem to be working. Um, and Pierre is delivering good results, but Esteban has a slight advantage at the moment in actually on the actual um, race result. And I feel that he's just in the Alpine land, have just got developed their own theme park, and Esteban's going to be enjoying it the most. That sounds so nice, doesn't it? Almost makes <laughs> you want to go. Uh, but no, fair enough. I completely agree. I think he's doing a great job at the moment in the Alpine. He's definitely found his feet there and... Um, yeah, long may that continue for him. And Alpine are making progress too, so it's all good things for them. Final category for the weekend, bold predictions. Who wants to go first with their bold prediction? I don't right. know if mine's okay. going to be bold anymore. It mm. would have been bold a few weeks ago, but I'm going to 
jump on one of your predictions, and I, I think that Alex Albon could uh, get another top eight finish. I think that's a pretty bold one. Yeah. Um, yeah, why not? He did a great job in Canada. Uh, he's not really been in the top eight since uh, Australia, where kind of made a mess of that one, unfortunately. But uh, I like it. I like it very bold, and hopefully it comes in. I want to see Alex Albon do well. We're all on the Albon train, so uh, yeah, that sounds good. Lee, what's your bold prediction? My bold prediction is the gap to Red Bull between P1 and P2 will be smaller than we um, with the smallest gap we've seen all season. Wow, that is a good one. I... Do you know what? I'm going to give you an opportunity to stick or twist with that. And I'll tell you why. Because the smallest gap between P1 and P2 this season, I'm pretty certain, was in Australia when we had a safety car finish. Was it? I was thinking Canada at nine seconds. but Yeah, it was like a few temps or probably not even that. So do you want me to come back to you? (laughs) I mean, you can have it if you want. I mean, Uh if, if the race finishes like we got in, what was it, 01 and 02? With the two Ferrari swapping positions, we might. Get okay, one it's like definitely going to be that close. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought I'd point that out before someone mentions it okay, in the comments. I, I, the safety car, I completely forgot. Yeah, because I think Hamilton finished like a tenth off yeah. of Verstappen behind a safety car, something stupid like okay, that. Okay, let me rephrase that. It'd be the smallest gap under a non-safety car finish in racing conditions. Okay, I'll let you have that one. Um, I'm going to have to find out what that is, but uh, it's certainly going to be bigger than that one. So uh, saved you on that one there, Lee. I shouldn't have done that because I've got extra points. <laughs> Never mind. My bold prediction, it's a little bit out there, but I think there is a logic to this. I think the Lando Norris McLaren fans with all the papaya flares and everything else are going to cause at least a virtual safety car because of the lack of visibility on track. You know that area in the grandstands, yeah. particularly um, in the middle sector, with the left and right hander before the uh, the two the final corners. Yeah, what's it dust? Yeah, the what's it dust. <laughs> you I've, know, when you get yeah. to the bottom of the bag, we've all done it. Where you shake the dust into your mouth. That's, That's it. what it is. You end up wearing it on your face, and you don't even realize <laughs> yeah. it. Um, yeah, I, I think at least a virtual safety car is going to be caused by this because it, it's weird. Because obviously, you got all that whole area. You see on the broadcast how bad it is. Well, I remember last season, like you could barely see as the cars were going through. I don't know what they can see because often on the broadcast, you tend to see more than what the drivers do. But then it leads to those two final corners where that pit lane is. And it's probably the most dangerous pit lane entry in the world in F1 where the actual racing line is on the entrance of the pit lane. And if you're going slowly because you can't exceed that white line, the last thing you want is to have loads of what's it dust or whatever in your face. And you can't see the car in front of you and drive into it. That's how it's going to go wrong for Ferrari this weekend. I've already said it. There we go. <laughs> is that your bold prediction is going wrong for Ferrari or is it still I'm, I'm still going. <laughs> I'm still going with the VSC, but my mind is trying to be creative here. And I don't like where it's going because it was going to make me <laughs> depressed. I want a good weekend for Ferrari. Canada was God, fine. Adam, but, like, yeah. We were talking about this, Gene. Canada. Yeah, this, there's always something. Maybe we should make that a category in its own like. So in which way are Ferrari going to mess up this weekend? Make that a category of, of, of your own. Do you know what? That would be fun. <laughs> I might do that. I'll have a little graphic on the YouTube video and it would just be me with like a little bobberhead looking stupid and spin the wheel saying how Ferrari going to mess it up this weekend. <laughs> Something like that. It might be fun. We'll have to, maybe we there should we do go. that. Um, let me know, guys, if you want to see that on the YouTube video. We're getting very off topic now. Anyway, yeah. look, I, I think that's all we've got time for now. I think we've kind of... Uh, played at this long enough um but guys as always let us know your thoughts heading into this weekend and your predictions we really want to know and of course we want to react to some of them in the review 
video as well. As always, don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel if you are new, and don't forget to leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe as always, and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.